When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No this is truth be told. That not only are there reptilians here, new evidence of UFO fleets. We were close to nuclear war. To help you transform so that you can live your highest truth. We're not being told just because we're not ready for it. The stations of frequency, vibrational. The, uh, I was a homicide detective with LAPD. UFOs increase. Um, visitations. Petroglyphs. What is a petroglyph? Is it like the art gallery of the world? Or does it have a bigger meaning? Maybe a history book. Well, today we have author Carol Nervig and her book, The Petroglyphs of Mu, Pompeii, Nan Madal, and the Legacy of Lumuria. Today we're going to talk about symbols of the Pompad petroglyphs have exact counterparts in other ancient cultures throughout the world. How does this happen? It includes hundreds of Pompad petroglyphs and stone circles, many which have never been seen. And we're going to talk about her residing in a small Pacific island of Pompeii where Carol discovered a brush fire exposed hundreds of previously unknown petroglyphs carved on gigantic boulders. Lots to discuss, a lot of new discovery, and I'm excited to have Carol on the show today. I'm Tony Sweet with Truth Be Told. Please welcome to the Truth Be Told studios for the first time, author Carol Nervig. Hello, Carol. Hello, Tony. Well, welcome from Ecuador. I should say hola. Hola, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, did you... Did you uh, for people who don't know, she lives. Uh, Carol lives in Ecuador now. So, uh, did you learn Spanish before you went to Ecuador, or did, or did you learn once you moved there? Well, no, not before I moved here, and it's very embarrassing. I get by, but uh, yeah. <laughs> hola, that's pretty good. That's <laughs> right. I right. get by, but unfortunately, I really haven't taken the time. And uh, when I I finish my writing, then. Uh, I'll uh, be able to focus on that a little bit more. That's great. Well, uh, because I have a green screen up, this won't this won't look so well. But the book itself, I have a copy here, and for great. everybody out there, they can get it on Amazon and you know different types of uh, websites, uh, inner traditions, and and all kinds of different things like that. You can purchase the book. But uh, first of all, tell us what the book is about, and then we'll go back to figure out how. Your journey started with the petroglyphs. The book is about a petroglyph site on the island of Pompeii in Micronesia. 
And uh, I was just mentioning to uh, Tony about, the, it's a little bit confusing, so I'll just start with that. Uh, the island, uh, the name of the island is Pohnpei, and the name of the petroglyph site is very similar, Pohnpei'd. And uh, so it's, uh, <laughs> there are many confusing things, but certainly that. And I did want to, oh, great. Uh, Pohnpei, the name of the island, is literally translate, translates to Pohn means a pond and Pei means a stone altar or a basalt, hmm. columnar basalt altar. So the name of the island is Pohnpei and many Pohnpeians believe, you know, their island is sacred and its name's named uh, accordingly. So that so on this map, or I'll show I'll redo that so you can see it. Yeah, uh, the petroglyph site. Uh, it's on the on the right side of the map. You see that large bay, right? Water coming in. That's Madeleine Bay, and at the end of the bay where the road goes around, that's approximately where the petroglyph site is. So, so my book is about this site, and. How I, you know, my personal journey in finding it and then writing about it. And then uh, those are narrative chapters and they alternate with more left brain chapters, facts and figures and oral history about the site itself. So <clears throat> the, uh, uh, the petroglyphs at this site uh, are unusual because they they're not really similar to pacific petro other pacific petroglyphs and there really aren't that many petroglyphs in the pacific uh, region on the islands right and they're uh but any number of them are similar to others found worldwide in ancient often more sophisticated uh civilizations now uh, that that's what I think is more interesting than uh, a, a lot of uh, other locations around the world, because some petroglyphs are very specific to that region or that area. But you're saying that uh, these petroglyphs have uh, influence from other cultures around the world, which is amazing if that's true. <laughs> Is it, was that like well, a vacation it, destination or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not for me. It's too hot and humid to be vacation for me. But of course, <laughs> I lived there two different times. Um, so the question is, well, first of all, the site itself has two areas, two components. One is a huge, enormous uh, basalt rock outcrop. And on that op outcrop are a number of petroglyphs. In fact, the ones behind you, Tony, are from that outcrop. Oh, okay. And, and those are the more, you know, I call more simplistic ones. Uh, when, what I uh, came across was uh, the petroglyphs on this, uh, well, it's kind of a, an interesting story. I, I don't know if you want to get into how I found them or talk no. About I want to find. Yeah, I would love to because that that story in itself is interesting. How it was discovered? Well, 
you know, I, I was there originally in the Peace Corps, mm-hmm. and uh, I was when I saw the Nanmadal site, I was just blown away and uh, couldn't. It was amazing because we we took a, a boat uh, after our Peace Corps training. They put us all in two or three boats, and we had to leave in the middle of the night because to get through the reef you had to and to get around them at all you had to be at high tide because it's it's uh built on a reef so we didn't get we got there it was still that that's exactly <clears throat> the area we entered that's there's beautiful. kind of a little pier in front of that ah, good choice of photos <laughs> <laughs> and but it was still pitch black and so we just sort of sat around on the stones until the sun rose and and the sun rose and it was like oh my god we we're surrounded by these 40 foot walls and this basalt and and it was it was really amazing um but my other emotion at the time was you know i was angry it was like what why doesn't the world know about this site this is amazing it's like nothing else and uh so that prompted me to, uh, during the summer when I wasn't working, I interviewed the, I had two Pompeian informants, uh, elders that were the experts on them at all. And so I recorded their oral histories on the site. And uh, yeah, that's the corner of Namdoas. That is huge. Is that a wall? Yeah. Yes. Some of the, um, they're, no, some of the longer basalt columns are 23, 25 feet long. And in the corner of that complex, there's a the largest uh, stone and it's, um, or megalith actually, it's not columnar basalt, it's more of a natural stone, but it's it weighs like 54 tons. Hmm. So uh, just the engineering there in itself was mind-boggling right um so uh i interviewed uh masao hadley and pensary lawrence and created this little booklet on non-madal to for it was there were you know not many but a few archaeological reports but that wasn't really for general public consumption and certainly not for the pompeians so that's how my addiction to pompeii (laughs) began (laughs) Anyway, after I re- after Peace Corps, I returned to the U.S. and had, did my business. And uh, about midlife crisis time, I decided I sold my business, moved back to Pompeii to start a nonprofit for uh, called the Non Medal Foundation to get funding for preservation protection of the site. And that was kind of unique because there were no, that was the first nonprofit ever on the island well except for churches anyway that brought me back i returned to pompeii in 1990 to do the uh nonprofit. and while i was there um <clears throat> there was a conference at south pacific south pacific regional environmental program hmm. and there they had a conference and they invited me to speak on non-madal for the conference and then later on that evening, uh, I mean, it's a tiny place and there are a handful of restaurants. So we all end up eating in the same place and having dinner and so forth. And one of the consultants, uh, I'm not sure if he was a geologist or what, but 
his avocation was petroglyphs. He was, you know, he loved petroglyphs and he made it a point to see them wherever he went. So he started asking me, well, are there any petroglyphs on the island? And I said, well, yes, there's some at this this outcrop. Uh, and they were well known. And I'd been there, oh, I don't know how many times myself. And I wasn't too excited about going because I'd been there. <laughs> right. And it was so hot and humid and going, oh. I said, look, and he kept bugging me. I said, look, you get you rent an air-conditioned car and I'll go. I'll take you there. <laughs> so he did. And we went. And so we got to the site. We walked down the path. There's kind of a fork in the path. And you go left to the outcrop. And uh, we stopped there uh, and looked to the right. And the whole there was this huge, the meadow was all burned off. And uh, I'd never seen these stones. Uh, there, and the reason it was burned is there was a, a drought on the island. <clears throat> and Ponte gets 400 and some inches of rain a year. Wow. The, similar to Kauai. Right. And so the fact that there's a drought was unheard of. And so the kids, what they did, they just went out and into the field with matches and discovered it burned. So they just burned this whole area off. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. So we walked, of course, we headed toward, and the, uh, some of them were huge. And we approached this one uh, and, well, he, uh, the, the consultant from ANU, uh, he was ahead of me, and so he said, Carol, come and look at this. And it was covered with petroglyphs. And mm. I was like, oh, my God. I mean, it was just unreal. And he, we both uh, climbed to the top of, it, of this huge boulder. And I actually didn't realize till afterwards, looking at the photos, that the shape of this was, you know, I refer to it in the book as a as a phallic boulder, because that's what it looked like. And it's not uncommon in some other cultures to have stones like that. Right, right. So that's how we found it. And we were both stunned. I mean, I was just, we were walking around from one rock and one megalith to the next and uh, taking some photographs. But in hindsight, I wish I would have taken way more right um, now were, was this discovery how how soon after the burn that it was discovered were you kind of the one of the first people to discover it or was this or the locals already knew about it or well that's a good question uh i mean it's not the people that live right there of course they knew it was burned and they knew they were the family that owns the property, they knew there were petroglyphs. Mm -hmm. I mean, the main outcrop, everybody knew that. Right. And they knew that there were some other rocks. But that's why I say this site is much older, because there's no, they don't know what the site was for. They don't, they didn't know the meaning of any of the petroglyphs. Oh, really? And yes. Oh, yeah. No, oh. they didn't. And And even the ones on the outcrop, I mean, nobody's really... The only oral history that exists is how the site was created. 
And that refers to the, the outcrop part portion. And that, that uh, legend is these two young brothers from the neighboring district of Kitty, uh, they stole a blanket. And so they're running away to escape with this blanket. And they took the blanket to this site and they put it down and that became the petroglyph site. Hmm. And so, you know, if there were patterns or designs on the blanket, maybe that's how they, they would explain that. And so, but eventually these two bo- young men or brothers or whatever, they were there. And then there was a doorway inside of this outcrop. And so they left via this doorway into the rock. Mm. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm, just for so people can have a perspective where this is actually located, there's an, a map. Uh, it, so it is out in the middle of the Pacific. It's above, you know, Australia. And uh, it's, a, it's a ways from <laughs> any any Everything. location. So the history of this little island, um, the locals that, you know, born and raised there, you're saying that didn't even know how to decipher or how to read these petroglyphs. So do they think it was a whole different culture before theirs? Well, yes, they said that they were people that came before. Right. I mean, and one thing about oral history and local accounts, you know, there's a dozen versions of any particular thing, depending on who you talk to and what migration they came on or what family. Uh, so the, there's a nut. So the creation, um, that was one <clears throat> that commonly accepted uh, uh, <clears throat> oral history. The other is at the fork in the road, you go either to the meadow or to the outcrop. And at that location, there's a Takayan Pasu. And uh, Takai means rock. Mm-hmm. Pasu means clam in Pompeian language. But it's slang for vagina. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that rock, it's, it, you know, the story goes, if you touch it, you become pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so the women stayed away from that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if it's true. I touched it. but <laughs> Luckily, that didn't happen. So... And again, at the time we were walking around seeing these, I mean, I had no idea what any of this meant. It took me years for it to sink in and realize that this site was a fertility site, a goddess site. Yeah, because there were, there was the one Takai and Pasu on the road, but then uh, there was another even larger one in the central core of the site where these huge megaliths were grouped. So... And then when I went back in 2018, I was hoping to get more photographs, but everything was so overgrown. I could, I only found the largest stone. It was impossible. And, uh, but I did near the road, I found a new uh, stone that I hadn't seen before. And it was shaped literally like a clam. And on the, on the side, you know, it's rounded oval. And Mm -hmm. then on the side etched in, it wasn't a petroglyph, but it was like scallops etched into the side of the stone. Oh, wow. 
So that that makes three vagina stones, if you will, at the site in the one. And who knows what else is there? Right. <laughs> and so uh, and if the site was older, that would make sense, you know, from an older ancient mother culture mm-hmm. that there would be goddess um, indications of goddess culture. Well, I'm going to just show some pictures here for the people that are listening. Uh, it's a wall. It looks like a window. Um, I'm curious, was this built to protect them from like neighboring islands or because sometimes when they, I mean, these walls, some of these walls are huge and the purpose of building these walls are either to keep people out or protecting from maybe hurricanes. I don't know. What, what is the, the idea of so many looks like a city and even, and goes into this mysterious, mysterious city. Like there's a map of what it possibly looked like back in the day. I don't know. Could you explain some of these pictures sure. and, and your, your theory and other people's theory on that? Well, there's a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of theories about it and it's still somewhat mysterious because what would motivate them back in that in that in yeah. ancient times to build such a place yeah. why it had to be really really important right right uh so i mean the common conventional explanation it was built as a administrative center and tombs you know whenever there's a question it's always a tomb right, right. <laughs> well and more recently yes they were used for tomb tombs but the uh, Namadal, the uh, again, there are many timelines and many versions of its oral history, and unfortunately, with the recent publicity, now that it's more well known, it's sort of uh, summarized, and everyone kind of accepts the same legends. And I think there's way more to it. Uh, the common uh, end. It's not that it isn't uh, an accurate oral history. At one point, these two, some call them twin brothers, brothers, giants, magicians, came to Pohnpei, and they wanted to build a ceremonial site, an administrative site. And they tried in several places. They went around the island, and when they got near the location of Namadal, they climbed the pyramidal peak in that bay you saw on the map and from the peak peak they saw the city of the ancients under the water hmm. and uh so <clears throat> so that's why they built namadal where they did right at the edge of the reef to be close to the city and to honor it uh and did they know about this was this what they were always looking for did they come back and the, the dates usually for this, these two coming and starting the construction of the, the larger megalithic part was about 900 AD. I was going to ask the age. Yeah, yeah. that construction lasted uh, most of it 900 to 1100. And however, there are also oral histories from other sources that on that reef, there was some columnar basalt construction hmm. before those two arrived. Oh, wow. And yeah, and nobody ever talks about that. You know, everybody wants to make a neat 
uh, story, you know. Right, right. <laughs> and they were called the Pali. And they were magicians and engineers. And they were more likely the ones that did the initial layout of Namadal because there are there were, you know, older structures, basalt structures that were found. And uh, archaeologists from uh, Honolulu, uh, Steve Athens, he found uh, some artifacts, shell jewelry and <laughs> abscess and things, and he dated them from zero to 200 AD. So that, see, that's much earlier. Now, these, so, these walls, are, are, those, are those just a ro certain rock or are they cor coral or what, what did they use to build these walls? Do you know? The, uh, yes, uh, they're all basalt. Basalt, and okay. They're, the, they're like rock logs. They're technically, they're columnar basalt. And when you see, when a, when a volcano cools slowly or a certain way, it naturally breaks up in these hexagonal shapes. Oh, okay. Like there are places you can see this uh, Devil's Tower and then uh, where's the place in uh, Devil's Stairway, uh, Causeway in right, right. Scotland and so on and so forth. And... <clears throat> uh, so, and there are sources, there are several sources on the island for this basalt, and archaeologists have found, you know, they've proven that. And, of course, the common uh, <laughs> remarks are just, oh, they all came from this one mountain, and some of them did, Puss uh, and Malik, which is a, you know, a, a, a volcanic uh, stub or what... Uh, there's a word for it. Can't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so and they were the construction. It's like it's called cribbing when they stack, you know, one row this way and right. one row that way. And there's not really an example of that uh, elsewhere in the world. And uh, Gunung Padang in Indonesia is a huge uh, pyramidal site, and they use a lot of columnar basalt, but they don't stack it that way and so when you see those walls they're built there are a hundred uh islets in namadal like you say it's a city and mm -hmm. or more uh or like a venice really right and so the base is on the reef and then they did basalt uh perimeter and then they filled it with coral and then on top of the coral they built the walls and the structures oh wow well, let me ask you this, because, you know, we, we've talked many times about the pyramids in Egypt and, the, you know, how did they build them? And, you know, a lot of people try to contribute it to alien technology. You know, we don't know. We don't know. But, mm -hmm. but sure. they had thousands and thousands and thousands of men and labor, laborers to help. I can't imagine building, I mean, some of these walls how many people did they expect that lived on this island because there was no you know technology at that time to lift lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, all these rock into this formation i mean how i just can't imagine to do that all by hand and you know how how did they build that and like i said how many people did they expect to live there at one time well i'm trying to remember what the archaeologists estimated at one point in time the royalty lived there in the priesthood and then the commoners lived on the island and brought food and water. Oh, okay. So maybe 10,000 people yeah. in, involved. So a lot. However, still, <laughs> the source of this columnar basalt, most of them are on the far side of the island. And uh, the they did some tests with uh, putting them on rafts. And so oh, they floated them up. Well, you know, <laughs> 20 tons on a, a raft. Right. And a, in the shallow reef of four feet deep or something, you know. However, the Pohnpei oral history uh, is very explicit about that. And there's a lot of agreement that the magicians that worked there, they, uh, well, they said flew the stones through the, through the sky. Oh, see, now we're getting back to the UFO technology. <laughs> or advanced human civilization. Or advanced human, yeah. You know, and in, in Tibet, you know, there's diagrams of how they levitate. Oh. oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. That woke me up. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, okay, here we go. Oh, sorry. Uh that's what happened. Okay. There we go. <laughs> Back to work. Back to work. Um, so, yeah, their oral history, they, they use magic. And they there's a name for that. Partic- they have several, a number of different kinds of magic, and they have different names for different kinds of magic. This particular kind of magic was how is making things lighter. Hmm. their minds to control the molecular makeup somehow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. And, wow. Yes. And it was when I was living there, uh, the second time uh, it was in the 90s. And, and before I moved back, I, I became addicted to sacred sites and researching all this stuff. And uh, a friend of mine was... Uh, before the the road was built, uh, everybody had outboards, you know, little boats, and that's right. how you pretty much got around. Anyway, and there, so we're gonna go somewhere, and he's got a he picks up the the thirty horse Johnson motor and puts it on his <laughs> shoulder and walks down the road with it. Oh my and I'm gosh. going, how did you do this? And he says, oh, we know how to make things lighter. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a. I think this is more compelling than almost Egypt because, not saying it is like you said, you know, alien technology, but also like you said, uh, we've heard many times about. Um, uh, oh my gosh, 
Don't you hate you when you get that middle age uh, memory? Um, Welcome to my world. Right. Uh, Atlantis. You know, we've talked yes, about her yes. hearing Atlantis having way advanced technology for what probably should have been. Um, and, of course, when it was lost, probably in a flood or earthquake or whatever, greed, um, mm-hmm. it was lost. So this also could have, like you said, pe- uh, petroglyphs from all over the world showed up there. You know, uh, So I think that that's interesting how this can lead back to what we started with earlier. Um, and I'm going to show this one thing, and I don't want to jump ahead here, but... What is this here? That caught my eye. Is that part of the petroglyphs? And hmm, I don't think so. Okay. Well, this says uh, oh. Pompad petroglyphs, um, and this was a uh, part of that picture. So I didn't know if that was something that you know anything about. Because I'm like, if that was footprints or handprints, that sure doesn't look like you humans. Mean on the cover of the book. No, 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 no. This this was just I was just looking through Google and it was oh. showing like petroglyph photos. Uh, well, I I don't know, and they it looks like rock art, but right. uh, I don't I don't ever recall anything like that. Okay, there. good. Cause I was uh, like, man, if those are footprints or handprints, they sure aren't human. <laughs> they, right, <not>. right. <laughs> uh, there is a footprint on the outcrop behind you. Uh, but, and which is typical at sacred sites and right. various places. It's a common petroglyph. But I wanted to mention, sure. you mentioned Atlantis and this advanced technology that, you know, that's what the book is about. The legacy of this being in the Pacific because it started mm. in the Pacific. And, you know, as the Atlantic, uh, it's the, the, the counterpart of Atlantis, Moon. Mm in the Pacific, Lemuria or Mu. And it was first. Oh, wow. And it was uh, the, it, you know, it, it was a huge landmass in the Pacific and there were migrations and colonies. And Atlantis, I believe, and other, others do as well, that Atlantis was a, initially a colony of Mu. And it oh, really? was influenced hugely by Mu. And so... That's how I feel these petroglyphs uh, at Pompeii are, they're universal because they were part of the mother culture, the the start of all of this. And then it radiated out in all directions and was, you know, uh, changed slightly here, you know, as it went and as time passed, of course. So, uh, and... The other difference between Mu, Lemuria, and Atlantis would be that Mu was a, a matriarchy, hmm. a matriarchal culture, a goddess culture, and therefore less warlike, more balanced, and artful, peaceful nature, nature lovers. And so th- then when those from Mu, and not to say there weren't others there from who knows where. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was a, that civilization was a little more patriarchal and became more left-wing, and so um, it's an interesting uh, comparison. And I believe that the Namadal site you you saw the you know it had it's a very for to me it's a masculine site. Very masculine, yeah. 
Like almost yeah. like I said, the, the walls, like, you know, keep people out. And, you know, it was very, yeah. yeah. It's not a friendly place hmm. in, in that energetically to me. I mean, it's better than it used to be. But you go to some other, like the pyramids or Machu Picchu or stuff. Right. I mean, it's, it's a very uplifting kind of energy. And for me, Namadal is a little uh, not like that. <laughs> well, do you think, right. and we've talked about this many times, you know, since 2012, the mind calendar, how, you know, a lot of people were waiting for like a big bang or something to to be present you know present in the 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 dimensions but i think mm-hmm. it's a slow transition of you can definitely feel there's a transition transitioning into something and a lot of people think it is into the the feminine goddess coming back into power versus the masculine which have been in power for a long time as we can see the wars that have been over the thousand or so so many years what is your take on the on that when you were doing the research for this like you said because uh, honoring the the feminine side of this what is your motivation in publishing your new findings about the petroglyph site is this something that that you're showing that even though Namadal was very masculine other forms maybe the petroglyphs showed a softer side well, yes, and and they, I believe, what predated Nam at all, and you know, I think all of this is important to 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 study our past. Because I mean, the point is not not the matriarchy, the domination part. It's like is the the goal is balance. And so we see in history the different extremes. Right. And probably Mu was at one point midway, very balanced and very, and then it, you know, maybe got a little bit too matriarchal for its own good. So we can learn from that. And the other important component of this, of the the petroglyph site, Namadal, and the city under the water, Mm -hmm. Kanimueso. I believe that was the the uh, first significant site there at that location, and then when it sank, it uh, those whether they were descendants or there was knowledge that this place used to be there, and they came back and built Nottingham near there. But the the petroglyph site, I mean, I think it's so old that that's why nobody remembers it or even connects it. And it might have been the mountaintop temple for the city under the water. Was there, with with the connection to other civilizations and cultures, was there one in particular that they noticed more than others from around the world? Uh, You mean in the petroglyph? Yeah, in the petroglyph side. Um, well, that was just my, Oh, your uh, take on it. Yeah. Because, well, professionally for many, you know, I owned a a branding marketing business and I designed symbols. Oh, so, so you, so I, that's, I have an eye for symbols. And, uh, so I would see the similarities and the only, no one has done any kind of comparing with these, 
with the new petroglyphs at Pompeii, the the envelope cross that is found there, that that's one petroglyph that's found in Melanesia, in New mm. Caledonia. And but as far as some of the other one, and then there's a uh, compass uh, similar to a Carolinian navigational compass that the that that the seafarers used to use, well still do. Um, Is that the cross? But, uh, yes. <laughs> I, I'm not sure who the gentleman is. I know. In the photograph, but, uh, <laughs> and that cross has two outlines. And the um, there are some with one outline, two outlines, three outlines at the Pompeii site. So that is found other places in the Pacific, well, in Melanesia. And the question you ask, what, what other culture was more like? That cross represents uh, something that, uh, that, that's found worldwide, but mostly in the Americas. I mean, mm -hmm. mostly in terms, I can say that what I've researched and what I've found and uh, Native Americans, North and South and Central America, all use that symbol. And sometimes it's called uh, the Venus cross. Hmm. Sometimes it's called the Quetzalcoatl cross. And what is, so, I know what it means to Americans and well, a lot of Christians in the world, I know what the cross means, but what would something like this mean? I mean, I know it's hard to like decipher something so old, but um, what, what does this mean to a lot of cultures that really didn't really celebrate Christianity? Well, first of all, it's not the same as a Christian cross right. because it's equilateral. And that, you know, that equilateral cross, sometimes it's in within a circle, which is also found at Pompeii. Uh, and it can, re oh, it's like an, uh, our typical symbol for, for the sun, for the four directions, for uh, uh, the, uh, well, like I said, for, it has some kind of connection with Venus or Quetzalcoatl. Mm. Right. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a universal symbol. And especially when it's, uh, when the, the equilateral cross is within a circle. So it really doesn't have anything to do with Christianity. Right. Because a lot of people, I mean, would probably go instantly go to that and go, oh, it was, you know, Christians came to the island. And... <laughs> um, no, no. And unfortunately, I mean, my whole, you know, one of the motivations for writing this book and sharing this, I waited a long time, but I figured, well, no one else is going to do it. I'm going to have to do this is to most Pompeians, they don't know these petroglyphs exist. And when I went there hmm. and because, you know, within six months, the site was grow overgrown when, when we found it. And so, or rediscovered it. And so when I went back in 2018, I wanted to take more photographs, but, uh, and I went and I showed the photographs I had, I showed it to the, the local king, to the governor, to uh, 
handful of uh, dignitaries, you know, uh, uh, historic preservation officers. Nobody had seen these before, even the king. What? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. Because when, when I found them, I mean, when we... I should say rediscovered that. I mean, the, the um, no, but like I said, the family didn't, you know, there were some rocks in the metal, but no, but they were not significant to them hmm. because it wasn't part of their culture. And so, and that tells me how old it was because the Pacific Islanders are really good at oral history and memorizing yeah, yeah. Generations and all, and that it's an art form there, and for them not to have any clue what these are about. Because even the, the Egyptians, I mean, they take great pride in you know these ten thousand year old structures, and yeah, I'm surprised that sure. uh, they don't keep that. And a... inter- interestingly enough, well, when I I I was with this uh, professor from ANU when we found them. And then later, you know, my my student, well, I was in the Peace Corps, he was a historic preservation officer on Pompeii. And I, and he was involved with the nonprofit and everything. And so I said, look, Messi, you've got to go. I've got to show you this. You've got to see these things. And it took a lot of talking to get him out there because he thought it was just the same ones that everyone had seen before hmm. on the outcrop. So finally, I got him out there and he was just, He'd never seen them either. Oh, really? <laughs> no. And the the National Historic Preservation, as of 2018, I showed them he had never seen them before. And, you know, I'm not an archaeologist and I'm not, you know, I can't, you know, as far as funding or anything like that, it's uh, I was I was there for a month in 2018, but I wasn't able to. You know, things move slowly. First, you have to get the funding to get the site cleared. And I, right, had, exactly. I had no money to do that. So, Well, somebody in the so, chat room, and actually it does kind of remind me in some ways, not saying it is, but kind of the Knights Templar. You know, their cross, this is, this is one of their, and I know that's a lot of Christianity, but, I mean, it does have a little bit of similarity to... Well, yes, and where did the Knights Templar come from? <laughs> That's my point. Right, right, exactly. This stuff was first, because Knights Templar, you know, they were Johnny-come-lately, so Right, to speak. exactly. And there's a lot of spiritual symbolism tied into that. And, you know, along the, you know, over the deck, the millennia get mixed in, gets mixed in with Christianity and so on and so forth. Wow. Uh, was there any, like, I know there's petroglyphs, but was there any type of tablets or anything that, uh, of the language itself other than the petroglyphs itself? No? No? Well, first of all, there was no written language. Well, in Mu and Lemuria, there was, first it was telepathic. There was no written language. Right. And then, uh, then the modern day islanders, of course, they have. I mean, Pompeii, uh, in the oral history and so forth, they didn't have a written language until mm. fairly recently. Wow. So, yeah. And uh, and these, uh, again, nobody, even the well-known petroglyphs, uh, nobody's really uh, attempted to, uh, you know, interpret them. I may have to. I, I do you know Scott Walter? 
Scott Walter, he's a forensic geologist. Um, oh. And he had a show called American Unearthed on the History Channel and the Travel Channel. And he he goes and carbon dates, you know, all these different stones and petroglyphs. And he's a, now a very well-known Templar, a Knights mm-hmm. Templar. And so he he's amazing. And he discovers so many amazing stories about... Uh, stuff around the world. I think this would be one for him to maybe get involved with you on because I think he would be bring some good attention to it. Yes. Well, that would be awesome. I mean, and that's part of the reason for doing this book to professionals that can do those things. I can't do them. I mean, I have my theories and I've done my research, but that's, you know, what's underneath that huge phallic stone. I mean, what if it was standing upright? Right. I mean, it could have more. I mean, who knows what's at the site? And I believe there is a stone circle there. Oh, my two. gosh. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. And but it's it's like there's you can't when I was there before they all, they didn't have there, there were no helicopters. Well, there still aren't. And so you, you to can't get an aerial see. photo. Yeah. Well, and I went up in a small plane, but it's all jungle. So you can't see anything. So LIDAR and this all of these new technologies, I mean, that's what really needs to happen there. And I hope someone will <laughs> hear about this and be wanting to wanting to do that. Well, um, this would be a great, and, and even right, ancient aliens, they're always looking for, you know, the show Ancient Aliens, they're looking for, like you said, something that's baffling like this. Even uh, somebody in the chat room says, Carol, you're on to something here. And also it's amazing that experts are baffled. So, and even the culture, the people that live there are baffled. That's what's amazing about it. It's like, we're like, we don't know. We don't know who these people were. So, uh, well, we're almost out of time, but, but what, what is your takeaway from how important this discovery is and, you know, how can it help us as a human race understand where we came from? Well, first of all, just to open minds about our past and that, you know, it wasn't always a bunch of savages running around. I mean, right. there was some very highly advanced technologies and uh, skills that were once known. And it would be probably very helpful for us to know some of them these days. <laughs> and uh and again, the message of this site, because I believe it's a, a fertility goddess site, uh, that that was, uh, you know, an earlier culture. And there's also much we can learn from that as well. And again, the idea of balance, because like you said, like our world today is a little uh, <laughs> <laughs> not quite so balanced in terms of matriarchy, patriarchy. Right. And um so uh, I just, uh, I mean, I, I can't, I'm so addicted to this site and so excited about it. It's hard for me to be uh, rational. But the, the, the thing is that they're, they're all, th- the, pon- the petroglyphs, Namadal, and the city under the water. <clears throat> I believe that needs to be re- researched as a complex of three components. Well, what what kind of popped into my head, and uh, the Anunnaki, you know, they talked about how the, you know, the alien race came down and used 
humans to mine, and then they uh, bred with the locals. It, mm-hmm. And you're saying this is a fertility uh, clinic, and we have magicians that levitating and my you know mind uh mm-hmm. telepathic and you're like this. i mean i'm not trying to make this a whole big ancient alien show but i mean it, it, it for people that you know do have questions about our existence and where we came from this is very fascinating so yeah this might be uh you might maybe get some exposure from this so <laughs> well and you know certainly you can't rule that out i mean yeah. there was they were stargazers and there was astronomy going on and they there's a there's a doorway into this huge rock <laughs> that's a portal so did you go in <laughs> well when when i knew enough to know what a portal was well, the first time i when i was in the beast car i had no no clue about what that meant right. and then the second time i was focused on the new area well, maybe maybe you go up and you knock three times, kick the bottom yeah. latch, and maybe it opens it up. <laughs> maybe it's a, a secret knock that opens the portal. Uh, well, somebody was asking, uh, are you going to be doing uh, book signing anywhere? Or because uh, I think they're 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 enjoying your 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 book and also your research and bringing something new to the table. Well, I would love that, but. <clears throat> Because I live in Ecuador, it's a little tricky. Yeah, a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> a little harder. And, you know, the old days of publishers funding these tours and book, you know, that's <laughs> that's a thing of the past. And I don't know. I would love to do that, especially in a location that there are a lot of people interested in this type of thing. And But before... Um, I really am focusing now on doing my next book on specifically on non-modal, non-modal revealed. So once <laughs> it's I like wait. giving birth, you know, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so uh, I don't know, but when, when, and if that happens, I will certainly, you know, uh, publicize that. And one thing that I'm, I'm hoping, but it's not till 2024, there's a, the Festival of the Pacific happens every four years in the Pacific. And it's on a particular island and it changes every year. Hmm. And everyone comes, you know, all the Pacific Islands are represented. Right. And often a lot of them come on canoes. Oh, really? Oh, how fun. Yes, yes, the navigators. And in 2024, it's going to be in Honolulu. So... That's uh that's a I'm long that's a long on ride that, on a canoe. Yeah, from Ecuador. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, Carol, thank you so much. Unfortunately, our time is up, but uh, you're going to have to come back when you get uh, uh, your second book done because uh, I'm, I'm sure we're going to. And I'll try to connect you with Scott and maybe a few other people that might be able to sh- shed some light on some of this because uh, you know it's it's rare that we we find new things all the time, and now with actually the climate changing and things drying up a lot more discoveries have been happening around the world so you know you never know what's gonna show up so but thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey with us and please come back anytime okay well thank you tony and like of course and do i know you have a facebook page but is there any other places people can find you a website or just not yet just my uh the petroglyphs of new 
Moo uh, Facebook page. And again, because, you know, I'm just focusing elsewhere. I really, I, and hopefully in the next few months, there will be a real official website. Perfect. Well, let us know and we'll post that on this link okay. uh, for, for the show. But uh, thank you so much and, and come back anytime. And everybody, uh, check out the book. Get the book on, I think, Simon & Schuster and Amazon and bookstores, I'm sure. And please, you know, let's support Carol as much as we can. And uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in and being a part of the show. And uh, please watch Robert Hensley every Monday for Minuteman Report. Bonnie Burkett, uh that does her show Wednesdays at 3 p.m. called Truth Be Told Transformation. Of course, me here every uh, Friday at 3, 3 p.m. And also, so Truth Be Told and myself, actually, I've put together for all you podcasters in the paranormal genre, uh, coming soon, we're going to be throwing a first-time annual festival award show for the paranormal genre. So more information to come, so please keep an eye out for that. And uh, until next time, I'm Tony Sweet uh, with Truth Be Told. Like, share, and please leave a comment. Talk to you soon. Bye. This has been another episode of Truth Be Told. Thank you so much for watching. Recorded live at UBN Go Studios in Burbank, California. Join us on social media. Facebook, Truth Be Told Radio. Instagram, Truth Be Told Paranormal. Go to Truth Be Told Worldwide for more information on upcoming shows. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.